So this morning we are continuing on with our uh, series called The Hard Way, uh, following Jesus and his teaching. Uh, and from Luke's Gospel, chapter 6, when Jesus preaches, it's the sermon often referred to as a sermon on the plain or on the plateau. <clears throat> Two weeks ago, if you remember, we were talking about uh, Jesus when he said, love your enemies. When he said, be kind to those who hate you. When he said, bless those who curse you. When he said, pray for those who mistreat you. And we talked about how unnatural that is for us, how human nature, that's not in us. That doesn't, we're not born with that. That is actually God in us. That's miraculous. And we talked about how deeply we need that, we need Christians, followers of Jesus, to live this out in our society, especially in our culture today, when so many people want to hate those who hate them. They want to curse those who curse them. They want to mistreat those who have, who have done them wrong. And how important it is for us as followers of Jesus to live prophetically, to follow Jesus' teaching. That was two weeks ago. And then last week we talked some about how uh, God called us to be merciful, just as our Father in heaven is merciful. And then he went on to explain that some more about don't judge. And he talked about how, you know, why do you get so upset about the speck of dust in your brother's eye or your sister's eye and you can't even see the, the main beam, the support beam that's stuck in your own? And how important it is for us uh, to not be judgmental because we want to put others below us. It's this crazy thing. It's this brokenness in us. We want to make ourselves feel better by look, looking down on others. And how important it is for us to follow Jesus in this and not do that, to not be judgmental of others. Well, I've been thinking some of this last week as I've been studying the next part of Jesus' sermon. I've been wondering, and it's been raising the question for me, is how do we do this? Because judging others is a natural human response. It's just what we do. To think that we are above certain people, it's, it's this brokenness in us. Everybody does it. And to hate those who hate us, to want retaliation, you know, to want an eye for an eye or a life for a life. That's human nature. But how do we rise above that? How do we not get wrapped up in that? I've been asking, where does the power to do this come from? I've been listening to Jesus. And it's been good as I've been listening. And like, do, we, do we have to pull ourselves up by the bootstraps? Do we have to just will ourselves not to do these things, not to be judgmental or not to hate those who hate us? Or does this power come from somewhere else? Does this amazing, miraculous power come from somewhere else? And if so, where does it come from? I don't know if any of you over the last couple of weeks that we've been talking about loving your enemies and about being merciful as our Father is merciful, like as amazingly merciful, how amazing that is. Like where does it come from for us to do that? I don't know if any of you have been asking that question or been wrestling through that. I know some of you have been working through this in your own life. Lord, how do we do this? How do we not get wrapped up in the sinful ways of our nature, of our human nature? How do we not get wrapped up in hating those who hate us or judging people who don't uh, look or live the way we think they should? How do we not get wrapped up in that? Where does it come from? Well, Jesus teaches us some this morning. If you want to open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 6, verse 43, or also too, it's in your bulletin as well, uh, right in the center. If you would, uh, read with me. <clears throat> so continuing on in the sermon, Jesus says, No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. The good man or good person brings good, good things out of the good stored up in their heart. And the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. 
For out of the overflow of his heart, his mouth speaks. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? I will show you what he is like who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice. He is like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When the flood came, the torrents struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. Let us pray together that we would hear God's word. Holy Spirit, we pray for your help. We continue to pray for your presence here. Help us to hear your word, to talk about it, to reflect on it. Lord, to, to bring it into our lives, to live from it. We pray for your help in this, Lord God. Amen. In this passage, it's really simple. Jesus says, good fruit, or good trees produce good fruit. And bad trees produce bad fruit. And if there's bad fruit coming off, you need to look at the tree. And then he goes on to make this connection with tree and with a heart. He says, out of the fullness of our heart, out of the overflow of the heart, our mouth speaks. Or the things, or the ways that we do things comes out of our heart. Our heart is central to who we are as followers of Jesus. Our heart is so important. And I know that there's times when we want to think, you know, actually, uh, you know, I, I can really rely on my will, on my own ability. I can, I've got an amazing willpower, Jason. You don't even know how, how strong I am to just do the right thing and not do the wrong thing. But, Jesus didn't come to give us uh, a behavior management program. He came to transform our lives. He came to transform who we are at heart. Jesus' desire for us is not that we would still want to do sinful things and just have the willpower not to. That's the ba- very basic. That's, that's not his goal, though. His desire is that we would no longer desire to do sinful things, and actually we'd rather desire, we have this amazing desire, this heartfelt desire to do righteous things, to do the right things. That's what being a disciple is. It's not that we, Jesus is looking for a tremendous willpower to just to make sure you do the things you're supposed to and avoid the things you're not, but actually we would be changed people. That our heart would be changed, that we would be transformed, that we would be a new creation. So Jesus desires that we would have this new heart. And it's central. Because out of the overflow of our heart, our mouth speaks. And it's interesting, because I've been thinking about this some, is that when we sin, when we do something that is against the word of God, or the way God has taught us to be, that is sin, you know, oftentimes we look at that as, a, as an isolated incident. It'd be like an apple tree producing an onion. You know, picking an onion off an apple tree. You know, we, we, sin pops up in our lives. And so our, as an apple tree, we produce an onion. And we think, oh, that was, that was wrong. I, where did that come from? Well, Lord, please forgive me. I hope I never do that again. And we, drop the, we drop the onion or throw it away. But then, we don't realize, but then a while later, like an onion pops up again. And then over time, an onion pops up again. And we just kind of treat them as one-off things. And I was realizing that and I've been wrestling a lot with this this last week as I've been reading this, is when sin pops up in our lives, when things against, against God or against other people, we kind of treat them like an onion that just kind of showed up on an apple tree. And we think, oh, well, I guess we have an onion problem, right? 
We have this tree, but we've got an onion problem with our tree. And it comes out of the way we think. I mean, as people, we tend to oversimplify and we think in linear terms. We think that we focus on the problem, or actually we focus on a symptom thinking it's the problem. And Jesus' point here is he's saying that if you have an apple tree producing onions, you don't have an apple, I'm sorry, you don't have an onion problem, you have an apple tree problem. When you focus on the symptoms, you might fix a symptom, but you're not addressing the root of the problem. And in this passage, Jesus gives us a hint of what the root is. The root is our heart. Out of the overflow of our heart, our mouth speaks. And so if we find ourselves saying judgmental things, or overly critical things, or hate for those who hate us is coming out of our mouths, we might think, oh, I'm, man, where did that come from? I need to, I've got a problem with saying the wrong thing. No, no, it's not that you have a problem with saying the wrong thing. It's that we have a problem with our heart. Because out of the overflow of our heart, our mouth is speaking. So Jesus is saying, when we find this, when we find these onions popping up on the apple tree, we start looking at the tree. We don't get duped into thinking we have a symptom problem. We can look at the actual problem itself. It's our heart. Because when our heart, when our relationship is right with Jesus, we will desire to do the right things. We will desire to bless others. We will desire to bless those who curse us. And when our relationship with Jesus isn't strong, when things are broken in us, we'll find ourselves tempted to hate those who hate us or to judge people or to condemn people. So Jesus is saying that our heart is the basis of it. That everything comes out of that. Because if we focus on behavior, if our faith becomes a sin management program, it will go completely wrong. It's a lose-lose proposition. If we as followers of Jesus take our eye off of heart and we focus on symptoms, we focus on behavior, and we become a behavior management club, it will go badly. It's a lose-lose. If we focus on behavior and we are really good at it, there is a term for that. It's legalism. And legalism breeds pride. It breeds pride for the people who can do it. For the people who have that amazing self-will to do the right things and to never do the wrong things, it can lead to pride. I mean, it's, it, I, I hate it on, in TV and in media. They always show the, the Christians as the judgmental ones. <laughs> I hate it. Um, but there are churches like that. There are churches, there are even whole traditions in the Christian church that focus on behavior. They are onion people. How do we focus on the onions? We've got an onion problem. Never talking about the fact that we have an apple tree problem. So it's a loser's one that leads us to legalism for those who can actually do it, who can keep the rules but it also leads to hopelessness for people who cannot. There are people who have horrible self-will. Their willpower is, they will admit it, I have no willpower. I, I mess up all the time. I try not to, but I always mess up. And when they get dumped into a behavior or an onion church, a church that focuses on the onions, 
they become disparaged, they become discouraged. They think to themselves, like, I, just, I guess I'm just not worthy of being a Christian. Of following Jesus, I, just, I, can't, I guess I can't do it. And they leave, brokenhearted. I was thinking about this some, and I've been, I was watching a, <clears throat> a short video clip. It was talking about pornography. Pornography in our society, and then pretty quickly it got to pornography within the church. And it was talking about what an epidemic it is. And if the averages for churches across North America fit, then there are people here in this room, men and women, who have an issue with pornography. That's a big onion on an apple tree. (laughs) The trouble is when we focus on the onion, it can lead to legalism or despair. You know, like, I don't know if you've ever heard it, but people who say, well, I started following Jesus and I just don't do that anymore. And I don't understand why people still do that. If they're following Jesus, they should just stop. That's a legalist approach. That's a prideful approach. And you've got people who are addicted. Addicted to pornography. And they're saying, I guess I just, I'm I'm, I'm hopeless. There is no hope for me. I can't break the cycle. Because I, I try, I try hard, and then I fail. And I guess if I'm going to fail, I might as well fail with flames. It's a heart issue. And I, I wanted to be careful this morning because it's a big issue, and I don't mean to make light of it. If you want to get together and talk, if you want to make a time with me, it's, I mean, it's just between us to talk about that, to pray, to seek help, to... Talk about the onion that it is, but also to focus on the heart issue, to focus on the deeper level, that out of the fullness of our heart, our mouth speaks. If you'd like to come and talk, I, I, I want to help. I want to pray with you, to encourage you. But that's a great example of what happens when we focus on the onions and we start thinking we have an onion problem when really we have a heart problem. So Jesus says, out of good trees comes good fruit. And when bad fruit starts coming off, we don't start blaming the fruit, we start looking at the tree. And Jesus makes the connection, the metaphor is our heart. That out of the fullness of our heart, our mouth speaks. And so when when horrible things start coming out, or sin starts happening, or we start uh, committing sin, we start looking at our heart. Lord, please help me see what's going on inside me that I'm even wanting to do this. You with me? Okay, so Jesus keeps going, and he says, um, the more that we focus on our well, he says that, uh, he talks about houses and stuff, but the point is, is that if we have a good relationship with Jesus, good things will come. We will hear what he says, and we will do what he says. <clears throat> and I remember this from when I, when I devoted my life to Jesus. I remember meeting with my pastor, uh, Roger, uh, this just amazingly faithful guy, gentle and and he would constantly tell me, you know, I'd talk with him about all the problems, all the stuff I was going through, and he'd say, Jason, when your relationship with Jesus is right, everything else will work out. It may not be exactly what you thought or what you expect, but when your relationship is right, so many other things will fall into place. When you start dealing with the onions, man, there's hundreds of possible onions. But when you deal with the heart, the onions start, stop popping up on the tree. 
Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? He said, someone who calls, he said, he talks some about houses, but if, if a person who calls Jesus Lord, Jesus, you are Lord and Lord of my life, and then not do what he says, that's a heart problem. It's not an onion issue. It's not a, a symptom. It's a heart problem. Because out of the fullness of our heart, our mouth speaks, or the way we live comes. But Jesus says someone who has a good heart, someone who follows him and, and does what he says, they're like a person who builds a house. He said actually who digs, digs it down. And it doesn't quite get it in English, but in the Greek it says who dig down and then deepen it a little bit more and then build the foundation on a rock. They build their house on that foundation. And then when the torrent comes, when the river floods, their house stands sturdy. It won't be washed away. Then he says someone who says, calls him Lord, Lord, but who hears him but does not do what he says, it's like someone who just built a house on sand. No foundation. And the water comes and it destroys it completely. I hear Jesus saying is that when our heart is right, when our relationship with him is good, that is a deep foundation. And when trouble of life comes, when temptation comes, when just the brokenness of this world affects us, we won't be washed away. We won't be com uh, completely destroyed. Now, I want to say this too. I mean, we were talking about the heart and how important it is. And I don't mean to say that there is no place for self-discipline. But it has a special role. We aren't meant to live. This is my belief. As I read scripture, we are not meant to live as followers of Jesus relying entirely on self-discipline. It has its place. But Jesus desires a transformed heart in us, not a stronger self-will. Do you see what I'm saying? But it does have a place. Self-discipline does have a place. You know, there are times when we are going through a dry spell, when we are in a, a, a desert place, like a proverbial, our faith feels dry. We pray and it feels like it bounces off the ceiling. We read scripture in it, and I can't even remember what I read after, you know, two paragraphs. There are times when our faith feels dry. Maybe we're going through something difficult. We feel like God is absent. We know in our head that he's present with us, but we feel like he is absent. There are times when it is hard to follow Jesus. There are times when our faith feels dry. In those times, self-discipline is an okay thing. There's uh, C.S. Lewis, who was a famous uh, Christian from England, wrote quite a few books, the Narnia series, for those of you who don't know him. But he wrote this one small book called Screwtape's Letters, and it was uh, talking about it was written from a demon point of view, from um, uh, Uncle Screwtape and Wormwood. And anyways, Wormwood is the, the understudy, the demon understudy. And he says, uh, Uncle Screwtape, I've got this Christian right where I want him. He's praying. He prays every day faithfully, but he doesn't even mean it. <laughs> this guy's about ready to fall. And Uncle Screwtape says, actually, this is the most precarious place because... He's being faithful even though he doesn't feel like it. And this could go either way. And if it goes the wrong way, and so this is from the demon point of view, if this goes the wrong way, if he actually 
grows in faith again, he will never doubt faith again. He'll never doubt Christ again. He'll be stronger for it. So there is a place where self-discipline helps us. When we are feeling, Lord, I pray every day and I feel like it does no good, there is still faithfulness. That is when self-discipline helps, that we continue, we get up the next morning and we pray again. I was thinking it, it has always kind of made me think of, you know, when you, like the new cars, the little, the little spare tire they give you with them? You know the little one? Self-discipline can be like that. It's that little tire that when your main tire of heart, of right relationship with Jesus, of loving God, of praising him out of who we are, when that gets a hole in it and that is somehow damaged and you can't rely on that at the moment, you can put on this tiny little spare tire to get you through. You can put on this tiny little tire of self-discipline to get you to the next town or to the next major city or to the next few days until you can work again on the heart, so you can get a regular tire back on there. You know, but, I mean, how, does anybody here have that friend who you see them, like one week you see them driving around with a little bicycle tire on their car and then like a month later they're still driving around with a bicycle tire on their car? It's not what it's for. I mean, you can't load it the same. You can't, you're not supposed to drive as fast with it. The thing is, I see Christians, followers of Jesus, who years ago, their heart was broken, their heart went out of it, and they started relying on self-discipline. And it's like they're still driving on that tiny little tire. They're still relying entirely on self-discipline. I'm really good at following the rules, doing what I'm supposed to, and not doing what I'm not. I guess that's just how I'm going to try and make it through. Jesus desires a transformed heart. He desires a transformed person. Not just someone who is a stronger self-discipline, but someone who has a transformed heart. For out of the fullness of our heart, our mouth speaks. So self-discipline has this place in our life when maybe we're going through a dry season and we need help to get through. Self-discipline can help, but we're not meant to live there. We're meant to live out of a desire of worshiping God, of desiring to pray, of desiring to read scripture, of desiring to serve others, desiring to fast. Well, maybe not desiring to fast. That's not one of my favorites. But but desiring to follow Jesus. Not that we do it because we know we're supposed to or because we have to, but because we want to. That's where he wants us to be. But also self-discipline has this place in our lives in our daily faith. Uh, for example, for me, fasting is a hard one. I've tried it. I've done it for years. But I don't, get, I don't see a lot out of it. I don't get a lot out of it. But I still do it because it's biblical. Jesus talked quite a few times about fasting. It's important. But... Um, it can still be hard for me. Sometimes I do it just out of discipline. Another one is service. I mean, this is one that maybe uh, a lot of you can relate to, or at least I, you know, I, like, oh, I should go serve so-and-so. I should go help them. And there's that part of me like, oh, I don't want to. Oh, I could. There's about 20 other things I'd rather do right now. And so self-discipline can kind of get us over that hump where we go and we serve and we bless them and it feels good to help And then because we feel good about helping them or because they said, you know, thank you so much, that our faith, our heart uh, grows a bit, 
and our relationship with Jesus grows in that. Or maybe we're even praying while we help him. I was thinking about it. It's, it's, um, I was thinking about like a, an internal combustion engine, you know, four-stroke, that um, it takes a little bit to get it going. Like a lawnmower is an example. You know, like to get it going, you've got to pull the rope to get the first, um, uh, to get it going, to get the first two strokes, and then the third stroke, it takes off and it starts going, the engine runs, and then the mower works, right? It's kind of like that. Like self-discipline can get us, like, for example, get us going in service. I, I, mean, I know I need to help someone, so I'm just going to go. I'm just going to show up. <laughs> I'm just going to show up and then, like, trust that God will take it from there, that it will be good and that I will be a blessing to someone and that out of it my, my faith will grow. Sort of like that with a mower. Can you imagine if you, know, if you only relied on self-discipline, trying to mow your lawn by pulling the rope to cut the whole lawn? Like, it would it'd be horrible. But that little bit of self-discipline can get us started, can get kind of the, the cycle going. And that's a blessing. It blesses others and it encourages us. But if we're doing it out of self-discipline the whole time, if we're helping somebody because we know we're supposed to, you know, there, there might be some people who just wish we had stayed home. <laughs> but when self-discipline gets us going, and we begin to bless people because we want to. And then the more we bless them, the more, uh, the closer we feel to Jesus, the more our relationship, the healthier it feels. That's good. So what I want to say here is that it's so important that our heart, our relationship with Jesus is good. But it's also, self-discipline has its place when we are struggling and to get us doing things that maybe we don't feel like doing, but we know that they are good and that our faith will grow in them. Jesus says, someone who hears what he says and does it is like someone who builds a house on a good foundation, who dug it and then dug it a little bit deeper to hit the rock and then built the foundation on the rock. That's what someone's like who hears his word and does it. So to bring it all together, Jesus, in this sermon, he's saying, don't hate people who hate you, even though in terms of human nature, you'd be justified, or maybe even naturally what we want to do. He's saying, don't do it. Don't hate those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. And he says, resist the temptation to judge people. Actually, be merciful like your Father is merciful, your Father in heaven, which is a pretty amazing and high goal of mercy. <laughs> he says, be merciful like your Father is merciful. Don't judge people. Because we're, our, our human nature is to take, point out the speck in someone else's eye while well, we've got this giant main beam sticking out of ours. But if you want to do those things, it comes out of the fullness of our heart. If you want to, to not judge, if you want to love those who hate you, it's a matter of the heart, not just the will. And so I was thinking about this morning, is one, how do we cultivate this good heart? How do we cultivate a heart that's bubbling up good things, that's bubbling up blessing? How do we work on a tree that's putting off delicious fruit that blesses other people? We don't have an apple tree that's putting off onions. Well, the first thing I was thinking about this, this actually this last week is that it's the Holy Spirit. So in one way, you're sort of off the hook. It's the Holy Spirit who, who makes this heart in us, who transforms us. We can't make it happen. 
We can't do stuff. There's no program to have a transformed heart. It's the Holy Spirit. So on the one hand, that's pretty encouraging. But on the other hand, I don't want it to let us off the hook like, well, I guess I just sit and wait for the Holy Spirit to do it. No, it's like a tree, right? Like a, um, those of you who've, like Walter has, <laughs> grew up on an orchard, you know, if you want your tree to produce fruit, there are some things you can do to help it. Like you can prune it. You can make sure that it's, that it's trimmed back so that it produces more fruit. You can uh, water it. You can make sure the soil that it's growing in is good and there's lots of nutrients there. There are things you can do. And there are things that we can do in our lives that will make rich soil for the Holy Spirit to work, for fruit to come. The things that Christians have been doing for centuries, like reading scripture, reading the word of God. And I mean reading for transformation, not just information. Do you hear the difference? A lot of times people, like we can get, we read lots of stuff for information. We read the news for information. And so sometimes we can take that approach to scripture and we can read it for information. And it's fine. There's lots of information. There's good stuff teaching on, on how to live. But there's also transformation in scripture. That we're reading something, we realize, Lord, you're speaking to me. And this is addressing some issue in my life. So we read scripture for transformation, not just information. The other thing, too, is prayer. Praying. You know, and I know that as uh, evangelicals, we often pray in one mode, which is, Lord, please help with da 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 But there are other ways to pray as well. To pray, Lord, please show me the places where my heart is broken. Please show me the places where my tree, so to speak, is putting off onions. Or I notice these onions, Lord, help me understand where they're coming from in me. Or Lord, please show me where my sin is at. And then help me, Lord, as I repent of it, please forgive me. So a prayer of examine and a prayer of repentance. There's also times of praying, of just sitting, Lord, I love you and I praise you and I just want to be present with you. I'm going to sit here, please speak. And if you don't, that's okay too. I just want to be with you. Praying just to spend time in the presence of the Lord. So Bible, reading your scriptures, praying, having a faithful friend, someone who speaks honestly with you but in love. Someone who loves you enough to say, you know, Jason, what you're doing, um, it just it doesn't sound right to me. Or the way you're thinking, it doesn't sound faithful to me. A faithful friend who speaks the truth and love to us. There's other things that Christians have done for centuries. Maybe there are some of you here who fasting is one of the most powerful ways you, can, you connect with God, that your relationship with him grows. Spending all day with that uh, pain in your stomach reminds you to continually pray. And then when you do have finally break your fast, you are praising God for how good the food tastes. For some people, that is a rich experience. I'm still working on it. Maybe someday I'll <laughs> mature enough for it is good for me too. Or serving people, helping people, praying the whole time we do it. Or even worshiping. And like Nick was talking about today, that we can worship God all the time. I know we call Sunday morning worship, and we call singing worship, but actually worship is so much bigger. Worship can be turning bowls in your shop, like Bill Bone. It can be working with kids in Rwanda. 
can be acting as principal of the school. You can be baking a cake or playing with your grandchildren, praising God the whole time you do it. Worship is broad. So let us worship. And when we do come here on Sunday to worship, to praise God, especially through singing, let us come to give God praise, not coming to hear my favorite song or to think, oh, I love this music, this is wonderful, or I hate this music, I wish they'd play something different. Let us come to praise, to worship God. So Jesus has been talking about uh, this way, this hard way. We've been talking some this morning about how it begins with the heart. That this hard way of Jesus, uh, I would say it's next to impossible to do on our, out of our own willpower. Some try. Trouble is it, leads to, it either leads to hopelessness or legalism and pride. But let it come out of our heart, actually. Let the fullness of our heart, let our mouth speak out of that and a right relationship with Jesus that comes through reading his word, through praying, through serving others, through worship. That will glorify God. Transformed people, living transformed lives and blessing others, that glorifies God. Let us live that way. Amen.